0: Hi, this is Chuck Wolf, and you're listening to the Emotion Roadmap, Take the Wheel and Control How You Feel, on WPKN 89.5, listener-supported community radio. And I'm pleased to have with me this morning a guest I'm going to tell you a little bit about in a moment, uh, John Woods. He is a national ambassador for a group called Braver Angels. And I'll say a little bit about them in a moment, but I also wanna talk about them in context with what I've been trying to do on the radio show. Those of you who are regular listeners know that the goal of the show is to help people with challenging situations that involve emotions, strong emotions. A lot of us have difficulties uh, sometimes solving problems. Really good, excellent critical thinkers struggle at times when strong emotions are involved, either inside yourself or with somebody that you're dealing with, you're worried about emotions escalating or just what emotions you might create, depending on what you're gonna say or do. The show has been focused in part in recent years on politics because it's been so toxic in so many families and among friendships that people have stopped talking to each other in many cases. And as a way of helping people to control their emotions, to do more emotionally, to have more inner peace with their ability to manage their emotions, I have looked for ways to help individuals who call in at times, other times I've had guest speakers on who introduce Mm -hmm. what I think is really helpful information uh, that really relates to many of us in terms of helping us to be more effective at dealing with challenging situations involving strong emotions. And some of you have heard me talk in the past about a group called No Labels that I've been very active with in the last few years. One of the things that's happened in No Labels, which, is, which has a mission, by the way, to create bipartisanship, and in creating bipartisanship in, with elected officials, No Labels has had a major um, impact on this group that's called the Problem Solvers Caucus, who many people didn't know about, but in recent months have learned about. This is a group of people who are elected representatives in the House of Representatives who come in as partners to this caucus. You can't come in alone. You have to come in with a partner from the other party. So you have to be a Republican coming in with a Democrat or a Democrat coming in with a Republican. And when you come in, you sign a pledge. And the pledge is about a willingness to support good, effective legislation that 70% of the people in the caucus believe is the right legislation for the country. And at least 50% of the Republicans and at least 50% of the Democrats all agree that this is a good piece of legislation worth voting on. And the reasons that's important is because sometimes a party, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, might be telling their members not to vote for that legislation for party reasons, for political reasons that go against the country's best interest. And so it's really hard for people to stand up and have the courage. But by coming in as a, as a, as a group, and now they have as many as 56 members. And this group, along with some senators who have a different way of working together, that they're they, they also are working collaboratively across the aisle. We're the ones responsible for the most recent COVID package. Some of you, many of you may remember um, Joe Manchin, Susan Collins and others, and Josh, Josh Gottheimer from the House of Representatives and Tom Reed from the House of Representatives, a Democrat and a Republican standing up and speaking in December saying it's unconscionable to go home without some kind of support package for the American people, they're in dire need and it, it, just, it just is the wrong thing for us to go home. Their leaders in both parties did not support their efforts. This was a groundswell. And they got people to pay attention, and they got something passed. And, and that's why they're, known, they're, they're more well-known today than they have been in the past. Well, No Labels is a group that has actively supported getting people together and forming this initial caucus, and now these bicameral meetings with House and Senators who are working across the aisle. So I've been promoting them on my radio show because I I think if you feel like you want to make a difference and you feel kind of helpless as an individual, but you want to be part of an organization, feel free to contact me if you want to join No Labels. You can reach me at my email. Many of you know it, but I'll give it again. It's cjwolfe at cjwolfe.com. So No Labels has been out there doing this work with the representatives, but there's also a group that I more recently discovered in the last couple of years called Braver Angels. At one point they were called Better Angels. And the Braver Angels is a group that has a mission that's aligned with bipartisanship in a way, but it's more about civility and respect about people talking with each other who they categorize sometimes as red and blue. Red being Republican typically, blue being Democrat, um, I guess there's purple too, <laughs> but, there, but the idea of people who are on opposite sides, being able to talk to each other. And I thought, this is really what I was going after when I first started with this, because I, I just think family's so important. It's really, really sad when family members have stopped talking to each other and, and really don't, 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 aren't willing to raise a conversation about how they're feeling about things that are important to talk about in terms of the direction the country is taking because they're afraid that things will get worse between them or they've actually stopped talking all together. And I know of friendships that have broken up. I've, I've actually talked about that on other shows, but Braver Angels, as has its mission, it seems to have people be able to talk to each other, even when they disagree strongly disagree and yet also strongly respect each other and be very civil with one another. So, as a member in No Labels, I had been working very actively in a group that was focused on media support for the No Labels group as a volunteer. We're doing other things now, too. But I ran across the name of John Wood and John's, John's background is really fascinating. We had a wonderful chat the other day, and I'm going to ask him to share some of that with you today. Uh, but he was working in part with media, but he's also the, the Braver Angels National Ambassador. And so I thought it'd be great to have him on to talk to you and to introduce to all of our listeners what Braver Angels purports to do and how successful they, they are. I, I actually had, a, I sat in on a meeting the other night that had 4,500 people on a Zoom call. I mean, it was remarkable how many people attended and people didn't drop off. It was extremely powerful. It was also shortly after the horrific events of January 6th but there was an, it was an amazing presentation. And I heard a couple of amazing speakers and perhaps along the way, I'll share a little bit about that. But I don't wanna wait any longer. I wanna just introduce John to you and ask John to, if he'll tell us a little bit about his story, how we got connected to No Labels. And um, excuse me, how we got connected to Brave to Braver Angels. And 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 then we'll, we'll roll into what Braver Angels is and what their past is, their present, and what their future is about. So John, thanks so much for being here with us. And I appreciate you taking the time today. and um, you're up, and can you start with telling us what thing what seems to be most relevant to you as you're listening?
1: Yeah, absolutely, ah. Chuck. Thank you very much, first of all, for having me on the show. Um, and uh, yeah, please do have gotten to know you a little bit going into this, and your um, your your framing about um, sort of the importance of our being able to regulate our emotional and psychological centers as a way of navigating difficult conversations and imparting that skill set and that foundation to others really does speak to what it is um, we seek to do at Braver Angels. And so I'm hoping we can get into that a bit. But um, how did I get uh, involved with Braver Angels to begin with? So that is that is a long story. Let me give you an abbreviated version that sort of wraps up some of my biography. Um, I come from a sort of, uh, I guess you could say, a, uh, a biracial, a bipartisan and multicultural um, family. Uh, my Mother is a liberal Black Democrat from inner city um, Los Angeles. My father's a conservative um, white Republican from Tennessee. Now, Dad didn't become a Republican until later in life, uh, but he was always sort of the traditionalist in our family, raised me to focus on the importance of traditional American values, so on and so forth. There are a number of conservative themes that came my way by way of my father. Uh, My mother came from a very different uh, experience, different generation, so on and so forth. Um, my father's family was very wealthy. Uh, my mother's family has many, many success stories, but comes from much sort of more humble uh, humble roots. And so I grew up at the intersection of, you know, sort of socioeconomic um, forces, I guess, you could, I guess you could say. And so I grew up very interested in politics, thought of myself very much as sort of a liberal uh, Democrat and was an activist in, in high school, worked very hard for Barack Obama's campaign in 2008. I believed in the idea of hope and change as being very much about creating sort of a post-partisan, post-racial America, if you will. So after Obama was elected, I took it upon myself to start, um, to start uh, studying conservatism, to start reaching out to Republicans, and after doing that for some time, after reading books I'd never read before, Wealth of Nations, Atlas Shrugged, and some other things happened. I sort of went through a religious conversion, got married um, to a woman from a... Traditional sort of Black Baptist background. Moved to a military town. My friends were soldiers. Joined a faith-based community for the first time in my life. I looked up one day and I realized, you know, on a list of 100 issues, I'm sort of a, a bit right of center on maybe 60, uh, 62 of them or so, and uh, made me realize, you know, I guess I'm a bit of a conservative myself, which was an uncomfortable uh, feeling <laughs> because, you know, the idea of being a liberal Democrat was so close to my my sense of identity. But the thing that had not changed in me was the desire to be a part of building a bridge between left and right, black and white. I still wanted to do that. That was unchanged. I remained sort of inspired by what I considered to be Obama's message in that original campaign. And so I thought, how can I be a part of the conversation? I made a decision to run for Congress. Um, When we moved um, back to Los Angeles, we had moved to Colorado. Uh, My wife was at Fort Carson in Colorado Springs. We ultimately moved back to Los Angeles uh, I ran for Congress against Maxine Waters in two thousand and fourteen. That's how I got my start in politics, and I ran very much as a hope and change Republican, if you can believe that. Uh, I was a person who had a more conservative kind of policy agenda, but you know the the idea of sort of emphasizing that this isn't a, a red or blue America or black, white, or Latino America as, as much as it is the United States of America. That was very much sort of my sort of my message, and I got to tell stories from my family, both sides of my family. As a way of making that real for people, as a way of humanizing, you know, um, uh, the faces of people on both sides of that divide, and so I tried to bring that perspective to partisan politics, and I didn't have a lot of luck. I was elected vice chairman of the Republican Party of uh, Los Angeles uh, in, I guess, it was two thousand, late two thousand fourteen. Was there for about a year and a half or so. Um, really got to see a lot of internal kind of nastiness in the GOP, and I'm sure it would have been the same in the Democratic Party. Um, when the sort of you know when the Trump movement came into town, that that was sort of my sort of the last signal I needed that you know the things I'm trying to do are probably not best done in this space. And so I set about um, launching a digital media network that was meant to sort of highlight voices from across the spectrum. Um, people who uh, disagreed about politics, but who agreed about how we ought to treat each other in politics, Um, had some headaches trying to get that going, but learned a lot about what it would take to be able to message sort of uh, a a narrative of shared American identity that could bring folks together. And um, about a a certain amount of time into that project, a friend of mine who who, um, was a volunteer with no labels at the time actually, Uh, pointed out to me the existence of a group called uh, Better Angels. And when I looked at Better Angels, I I saw an organization that espoused the values I believed in, the idea that democracy, ultimately our political culture is strengthened by our ability to achieve empathetic and personal connection with each other. They were creating the space in local communities for people to dialogue across their differences and to continue in relationship with each other. Um, all things that were so needed in my, in my view, but they seem to not be thinking too much about YouTube and social media and creating content and so forth to amplify that culture. So I kind of brought that idea uh, to Better Angels. I, I drove down with my friend Luke Phillips. Uh, we, we, uh, we drove down to participate in the workshop in San Diego, met the founders of Better Angels, David Blank Blankenhorn, Bill Doherty, Peter Yarrow, Peter, Paul, and Mary, who's a friend of the organization, he was there at that workshop, and, um, you know, told David a bit about my uh, idea for the media side of things, Um, and uh, we had a few more conversations, and ultimately, uh, they brought me on to sort of help build out the media presence of Better Angels. I stepped into sort of a spokesman-type role, an ambassador role for the organization, interfacing with uh, going on. Radio shows, podcasts, television, and whatnot, talking about the work of the group, the larger movement towards creating reconciliation in the country, and the rest, as they say, is uh, is history. Um, I came on board in officially in spring of 2018, and even though it's only January of 2021, Chuck, that feels like it was a couple of lifetimes ago, <laughs> given everything that's happened to us as a country uh, between then and now.
0: But yeah uh that but that's the that's the arc of the story well okay i guess before we jump to braver angels and and some of what they're doing um some Mm -hmm. thoughts as i as i listen to you tell your story john it seems to me um you are the bridge right (laughs) i mean just what just what you've lived who you are how you came about how you came into being um Mm -hmm. and, and my guess is you're are you having to use your skills within your family units and across the different groups of communities that you belong to? I imagine you're, you're tasked to do that on occasion. Mm. Well, you know, I've always sort of operated as something of a translator
1: and interpreter sort of, you know, across across cultural and other divides. And, and yeah, I mean, that's always been just sort of a function of how I grew up. Um, just sort of the need to do that, in part as a means of perhaps finding a greater sense of understanding who I was. I mean, you know, my, my parents' marriage uh, d- did not did not last. They they separated when I was fairly young, and it, it, you know it didn't have really anything to do with politics per se, but the cultural sorts of differences between folks like my mother and my father that inform our greater political divisions in America were very much present you know, in the friction of of the home I grew up in, you know. And um, I mean, I can remember sort of being, um, it's sort of, I guess, a sad thing to say, but I can remember being a little kid and both my parents are both, you know, strong, forceful personalities. And I can remember them sort of, you know, arguing and screaming at each other in the living room, and I can remember being, you know, three or four years old and sort of running in the middle of them and putting my hands on my ears and, and screaming at them, you know, shouting, stop shouting at each other, you know, shouting at them to stop shouting at each other. And uh, <laughs> somebody uh, sort of provoked that memory in me uh, not too long ago, and I, and when I told the story, I realized, well, I guess I've sort of been doing that ever since, haven't I? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, um, you know, I'm a person who has been blessed to, be fairly able to walk into very different uh, cultural environments and relate to people, um, because I have perhaps such a spectrum of perspectives and starting points in my family that it's not, it's never been too terribly difficult for me to see the humanity of folks, but part of what I guess also came with that was a real valuing of listening, the act of listening uh, and trying to listen deeply—you know, not just listen to, you know, what's the technical meaning of the words that this person is speaking, but you know, what is what is the emotion, what is the feeling uh, that is carrying the words that are being spoken here, you know, and and how does that tell me more about what this person, where this person is coming from, and who this person is, um, and how should that inform how it is I communicate in in response, right? Um, and so, you know, that way of being, I think, was cultivated in me sort of early on because I was never carrying just one cultural language or the other with me. I, I always had sort of different narratives operating in my mind kind of at all times because my mother's world is very different from my father's world. My mother's way of explaining the world, explaining reality, very different from my father's and, and vice versa. And so I always had to compare back and forth. And, and you know. Comparing between the perspectives and worldviews of people who I loved dearly, who were the people responsible for my existence, and so I could never be too partial, really, in any in any direction. Um, and so, yeah, that um, you know that way of moving through life was with me. I think before I realized that perhaps it was somewhat distinct in in, in some ways, maybe. Um, so yeah, I, that, that's, the, that's the imagery there.
0: Yeah, so it seems like uh, sometimes some of the things that happen to us as children, I think, get to be played out later on in life in terms of the lives that we, that we choose to leave. I, I know, as you talked about your family, I, I won't say much about this, but I will say that in my own family, my parents loved each other. They did stay together, but they fought a lot. And one of the things that I noticed when they fought was they didn't really hear each other. It did. I mean, the, you know, across the words were, were, were messages, there was love there, and there was, uh, and there was misunderstanding. And I, I, even as a young kid, I was able to tie, try to tease out that, hey, wait a minute, you're not really hearing each other. No, they didn't always listen to me either, <laughs> but, but I was there trying. And, and that's actually what I've been doing ever since in some ways. Um, well, okay. Let's talk a little bit about Braver Angels then. So in terms of the, the organization itself, in your role of, of national ambassador for them, um, what's, the, what's the sort of like the, the, the elevator speech, if you will? What, what do you say to people when they want to know, so what is Braver Angels? What do they do and why do they matter and why should I care, I guess? Sure, right. Well, the elevator
1: speech is this. So Braver Angels is is the largest grassroots bipartisan organization in America um, working on on the issue of political polarization or working towards political depolarization. But when we say um, depolarization, we really mean something a a little bit more than just tamping down on the hostility. Uh, What we mean is creating a sense of shared, uh, unearthing a sense of, of deeper American values and shared American identity in an effort to renew the spirit of democracy, really, uh, in a way that allows us to begin looking at democracy and politics, generally speaking, as a project within which we move through our relationships to achieve the common good, right? Uh, and so that begins therefore with tending to our relationships. Uh, we see a, we see a a distinct and vital connection between the health of the relationships that exist between the American people, uh, between you and your parents, uh, you know, uh, between husbands and, and wives, uh, neighbors, classmates, people in the workplace, um, you and your pastor, whatever the case may be, that there is a direct relationship between the health of our relationships and the health of our institutional society, right? Uh, and the reason for that is because our institutions, one, they are all made up of people who are in relationship with each other. And the question is simply, are those relationships working? Are they functional? Are they based on a certain degree of respect, understanding, and most importantly, trust? Um, or are they not? Are they based on distrust? Are they rooted in a sort of animosity and and an and unwillingness to understand or or really take into account the emotional starting points that motivate uh, people on the other side of the given question, the moral foundations that are operative in people's thinking and actions on the other side of the question. If it's the former, if there is a fabric of trust that exists between people, regardless of their differences, then people operating in the institutions and, you know, in the sort of structures and machinery of American life, we may come to points at which it, becomes difficult for us to agree on particular things, but we will nevertheless play by the rules. We will nevertheless operate in a way to where we contribute to the integrity of the workings of Congress, the workings of the court, the media uh, will will operate in a way that is more more intellectually honest and fair-minded. We will be invested in the larger integrity of the workings of our institutions because we will agree that there are certain metrics for progress and stability for success in our society that go beyond whether or not one partisan group wins an argument today or the other, but that is reflected in our ability to continue to have the argument in a functioning and operational sort of way over time because our systems hold together, because we are committed to making sure that the rules work and that folks play by the rules because we have a respect and a trust for one another. When that trust dissolves, then our presence in the institutions, then our activities in democracy become less about preserving the integrity of our institutions, less about preserving the culture that we continue to dialogue with with each other through over time. And more and becomes more about how can I use the machinery of the state to undermine my, my opponent, even if I have to bend the rules? How can I use my megaphone through the media uh, to smash and destroy my political opponents, regardless of whether or not I have to take shortcuts in terms of how I present the facts or how I make my arguments? Um, we start to look at success in political and public life sheerly in terms of achieving tribal victory with no sense of what an overarching interest in the general welfare actually is because we don't see the other side as a part of uh, as a part of the general welfare we are looking to push them out of our reality forgetting the fact that that is literally impossible unless we descend into a violent sort of civil war and that therefore is where that logic ultimately goes, and it's in its bottommost sort of manifestation. I mean, you know, I don't think that we're we're there yet, but obviously, on the other hand, you know, political violence has become a fact of American life in this moment in a way that it it wasn't when I was a kid in in, in the 90s. And you know, obviously, you know, can think of Waco, can think of, you know, can think of Unabomber. I mean, terror. You know, there were all sorts of things even then, but we are seeing a disintegration um, of the bonds of trust in America and what is replacing that is a willingness to go beyond the mechanisms that democratic society has in place, that our republic has in place for us to mediate differences and to move forward on the basis of compromise because we do not see ourselves as loyal opposition anymore so much as we do as enemies who happen to live next door to each other. And in order to impact that problem, we have to rehabilitate our understanding that there are deeper things, deeper values, deeper interests that we share as human beings, and that the recognition of that becomes activated when we are in relationship with each other and can feel what the other person feels. Uh, in a way that allows us to speak to what the other person is feeling. So it goes all the way to the bottom. Um, We have to start from the ground level in terms of how we interact with each other, how we think about each other. And uh, that's where the work of Braver Angels begins.
0: As I'm listening to you speak, John, I'm thinking about in a theoretical sense, I don't think anybody listening to what you just said has any difficulty with the conceptual view of what you're speaking about. And yet when you take it to a specific, was the election stolen? Did Trump incite the violence justifying an impeachment? As soon as you start talking about specific events and the way people filter things and the way they talk about them, the perspective that you just shared, which is hopefully something all of us can embrace, Mm -hmm. kind of sort of goes into the background. And the foreground is like, you know this rush to the media whether social media or particular networks whether you're watching Fox or Newsmax now I guess or C- uh, M- MSNBC or CNN or, or even the major networks ABC CBS and so forth I think you, you get your full dose of one way of looking at things mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I've actually been in the going to the Central Texas uh Braver Angels meetings on, on how to influence the media how how to get the media to, to, to be more appropriate and Remember, years ago, we used to think of on the front page, you got the news somewhere mm-hmm. in sort of the 13th or 14th page. You see the editorial page. But now the whole paper seems like it's an editorial page. <laughs> it does. And yeah. You know, you get you get things without facts. like Anonymous sources taking front, you know, the, the space on the front uh, on the front of major newspapers. And, and all of a sudden, you, you kind of like get inundated and it's hard to step back and want to be rational, engage in civil discourse and yet i think i want to i want to say this to everybody listening brave angels seems to get that right now i don't know i'm hoping it can spread and that's partly why i'm having you on so mm-hmm. wh- why do you think brave angels gets it right when it's so hard for so many to get mm-hmm. past the inundated uh, you know views that are pushed on them from all these different sources
1: mm. Well, I do think that we do a great job at Braver Angels. It's not to say that every single workshop uh, and every single event produces a transformative experience for everybody who participates. You know, We do have people who walk away from our events and from our activities disappointed sometimes. And indeed, different contexts are more and less difficult uh, than others. But overall, I think that the reason we've been so successful is because we set an expectation for people coming into our events that says that, first of all, it is okay for you to come as you are, like church, right? Um, <laughs> the idea of church is that you know, you tell folks, hey, okay, come as you are, and you know, but you receive the gospel, and hopefully, you know, your life will be changed and, and so forth in a positive kind of positive kind of way. This is terribly dissimilar. Uh, we don't draw hard and fast lines, and we get criticized for this, but we don't draw hard and fast lines certainly with respect to who's able to come and participate in our mediational sorts of activities um, we don't draw hard and fast lines with respect to what somebody believes you know not just whether or not they're a Republican or a Democrat but whether you're sort of you know a, a, a radical leftist who'd like to you know see uh, see you know the private economy abolished or if you're somebody who's this is to say you believe in QAnon or something or something that's you know, going to be pretty far out there to most of us like that, you are still invited to come and participate in a Braver Angels workshop and share, you know, who you are and why you believe what you believe. So it's a space for people, to be honest. Now, it can be challenging being in the presence of people whose beliefs and perspectives are so sort of wildly out of sync with your own that you might think, you know, goodness gracious. I mean, you know, if if views like this wind up, you know, wind up steering things and, in our country, where are we going? Where are we going to be? But in peeling back the layer and giving people an opportunity to speak from the vantage point of their own lived experience for the benefit of other people to observe, you do find yourself in the position of a being able to experience, you know, the the I think sort of therapeutically valuable exercise of being able to share the. The, the truth as you see it with folks who generally aren't going to see it the way you do, but who are in a posture of listening, while also equipping yourself and reciprocating that listening, to developing a deeper understanding within yourself of, again, sort of where these people are really coming from, past the stereotypes, and how you can actually set about communicating with those individuals when you have to, because now you have a window into this, right? And you, know, you get to see the diversity of experiences that accompany our different. So you, know, you may have somebody who believes in QAnon and you might think, oh, okay, these are all people who are wackos living in their mother's basements or whatnot. Um, but you know, part of what you might discover is that, oh, you know this person is a plumber who might've been working in my house recently, or this is somebody who may be in my neighborhood or something like that. This is somebody who might be from the town that I'm from, somebody who might have listened to the music that I listened to growing up and shared a couple of the same heroes, and yet this person has gone off this other sort of philosophical path in a one-to-one sort of context, if I realize that there are, you know, 17 points of connection between me and somebody who's got a point of view that I consider dangerous, suddenly if if our basis for communicating goes beyond, and I'm using an extreme example with the QAnon piece, so you can sub, you can swap that out for more, you know, generic examples but if suddenly we've got 17 points of connection where originally the only the only basis for our dialogue is the one thing one this big thing that we disagree about then suddenly i can leverage all of these other points to establish a context of trust between us so that even if you know this individual you know is 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 just in another universe in terms of how they see the facts as presented you know by the media and so on and so forth um, how they see the facts, factual reality of our politics, I nevertheless can establish a context that says, you know, you you can now see me as somebody who is not your enemy. We have a basis of trust, and now that we have a basis of trust, you know, let's see if we can't go a little further in understanding what reality is, and it's at that point that we can begin to challenge each other in constructive matters so that we can hear what each other are saying, and we can begin the work of Redeveloping something of a shared epistemology. Now that's going deep, and it's not going to happen in every workshop uh, to to the same to the same extent. You know, every every pairing of individuals is not going to produce that sort of outcome. But it does happen reliably to a certain to a certain degree when you bring people together in the right context. Sometimes people are very much transformed by it, and find themselves arriving at a more balanced sort of first, a more balanced sort of view of who the people are on the other side of the aisle, and then from that, a more sort of humanized understanding of why these people believe what they believe, and then finally self-reflection. Okay, is it possible that good people, reasonable people, intelligent people, uh, believing something that is at odds with what I believe suggests that there's some reason for me to reflect on the things I believe and why, you know? You need to be able to have that, that, that that part of the journey is there. And there needs to be a road that ultimately sort of leads to that for some folks, You know, if society broadly speaking is going to, going to move forward. But I guess the one, one final thing I'd add to this is just to say that it's a victory every step of the way. So again, even if a person doesn't find themselves totally transformed in their worldview or their perspective, arriving at a place of greater trust with your neighbors who you disagree with is enough to begin to stabilize the culture of our politics and the working of our institutions. And so every, every step on that road there is, is a victory for, for democracy um, and our Republic in our estimation.
0: So that's really interesting. You know, one of the things that uh, years ago when I was learning about Carl Rogers, I used to be a therapist and Carl Rogers would talk about the importance of being empathetic to another person. As you're going to be helpful to somebody else as a therapist, as a counselor of some kind. um, You really have to understand through their frame of reference, you have to see through their eyes what they're saying. But the very scary thing he said about being empathetic is that you begin to identify with how they felt and what their arguments are that are so foreign perhaps to what you believed when you first get into the relationship and uh, you, it may cause you a panic at some, at some level because your beliefs that you've held for so long, looking through this other frame, all of a sudden they don't seem so stable anymore. They don't seem so absolute. And now you're being challenged to, as you started to say, I think for a moment ago, you know, your own beliefs come into question somewhat because if I do have some trust in this other person, if I do think this other person is smart too, and they've got some very different beliefs, then do I just go in waiting for them to finish so I can tell them why they're wrong? Or do I really listen to try to understand why they could possibly be right? And that's scary to a lot of people. So one of the things that strikes me about Braver Angels, just to ask you the question is, uh, I think with some people who are coming to Braver Angels, they're at least open to the idea that they wanna listen to the other side. Where in some of my conversations with people, it's very clear, they really have very little interest in knowing that there's a reason that they should value an opinion that's so different than theirs in this political world that we're living in today.
1: Mm. And I should have I should have made the statement that that is the one hard line that we draw for participation in our activities and events. You do have to be coming from a place of good faith, ultimately, you know. Um, if you're not, if you if you want to sort of jump in the mix just to upend it, then there's there's not too much to be done with somebody who comes into a conversation in that frame of mind, right? Um, but again, I mean, you know, what we discover is that there are people of good faith who believe things that range out across the whole sort of universe of points of view, you know. And so we, and, and this, this leads me to something else that's vital to communicate because you mentioned the fact that in general, uh, folks listening to us right now, folks listening to, to this show are likely going to be sympathetic to the sort of idea of, you know, the larger notion that rehabilitating our relationships in America is going to be good for our democratic society, but that when it comes to particular impasses, you know, Um, Some of us, you know, believe that what we witnessed was a, you know, free and fair election as attested to by our authorities across the spectrum of, you know, American institutional life, generally speaking, in a bipartisan fashion. But other folks uh, believe we've witnessed a a theft of of our free and fair election on the grandest possible scale, uh, just a historic uh, offense and travesty. Uh, to the integrity of our republic and something that must be resisted. Um, is how, do you, how do you build that bridge? And the thing that we have to keep in mind, because many folks will operate on the assumption, or they'll, they'll look at what we do and they will say, but wait a second, I can't take the time to build understanding these people because I have to defeat these people. Right? You know, America is in danger right now. The thing that we have to recognize is that there are two projects, really, that we all must be engaged in at all times. There is a tension between them, but there is no contradiction between them. And those two projects are, on the one hand, pursuing your political objectives, standing up and being a voice for the things you believe, whether you're progressive, conservative, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, whatever the case may be making your argument in the marketplace of ideas and fiercely advocating for the changes you want to see in society, while also advocating for and participating in activities or otherwise conducting yourselves in ways that strengthen the social edifice of society by which our institutions, uh, the institutions of our republic uh, and our social fabric can cohere. Now, for me, I find great philosophical and spiritual resource for that way of being in the world uh, in the teachings and the philosophies uh, of, of nonviolence, uh, particularly in the Kingian tradition, the tradition of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And much of that thinking is uh, influential within Braver Angels and certainly certainly in my work and my point of view. And you know what nonviolence teaches us is that ultimately, well, nonviolence teaches that Love is a love is a social value, and uh, King referred to agape love, which you can translate as goodwill. Not a love of affection, not a love, not a romantic love, a love of liking people exactly, but a desire to see the larger good happen for everyone, even for your opponents. Um, Doctor King taught a mode of social activism and 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 civic uh, and, and even democratic engagement that focused on emphasizing the dignity even of folks who are standing firmly uh, in the way of justice as a means of signaling to those individuals that ultimately you are not our enemy. You are not somebody we want to humiliate or defeat in any sort of a personal sort of way. But ultimately we speak the truth of what we believe, we advocate, for the changes we want to see, because we want to create a better society for everyone, a community of in, a community of inclusion for everyone, including you, right? Even though we disagree with each other, and even though we are challenging you fiercely and on a moral level, even the outcome we seek is for our enemies to join hands with us uh, in the beloved community, right? Um, which is, you know, a, f- a phrase that that King. Um, leaned heavily upon and so you know there again there there's a tension there you know and dr king spoke to that tension uh he talked about in scripture how you know he was very uh how the lord said to love your enemies he said i'm very glad the lord said not to like my enemies i would find it i would find it difficult to you know like uh like somebody who would be willing to you know willing to, willing to club me, willing to, you know, hit me with the, spray me with the fire hose, find it difficult to like folks like Bull Connor, for instance, and, you know, um, and, um, and, um, many others, but love goes beyond that. Love is about goodwill, and being able to frame our activism in that way brings moral power alongside of it, and, um, we, we conduct our work in what in many respects is kind of a sort of a parallel manner, emphasizing the need for us to acknowledge the mutual human dignity that is presence, present across the divide as a pretext for fostering conversation that can allow for the possibility of both truth and reconciliation uh, to come to the fore. And so, yeah, that's, uh, that's how we have to, I think, navigate the tension between these two imperatives. The imperative of on the one hand, pursuing the political agenda in which you believe, but on the other hand, doing so in a way that also allows you to be a part of our ability to sustain community and therefore to sustain democracy
0: together. So as I, as I listen to you, I think uh, both about Brave Angels and No Labels. And as I think about No Labels and what again, what they've created this in this Problem Solves Caucus, we've had a number of these representatives from the House of Representatives who are in this caucus uh, come before the Steering Committee and, and several other groups of No Labels volunteers. And when they talk about their experience of working together, it echoes much of what you're saying, I think, John, where, where they have a sense of we are avid, um, avid supporters of our party when our party is average supporters of the country. And what we do is when we come together, we both strongly uh, advocate for our positions from our party, but we're listening deeply to one another for really what's the best version of our ideas, whether it's our own or yours from the other side, how do we go forward and make life better for all of us together? And so I think that's the no labels end of it. The the end of, of all of us as citizens talking more respectfully with more civility, uh, without the angst of worried about if I, geez, if I say something, is it just going to, you know, create an uproar in my household or with my friends or, you know, can we talk at all? Because I've seen people just shut down other people who bring something up that's different than what they think. And then the name calling starts on top of that. And then it can get very ugly at times. So um, one of the things that I'm, I'm a big advocate of is more free speech. And the, the you know, I, one of my good friends is a, uh, Somebody who's the president of Yale University. I worked with him collaboratively on on emotional intelligence. He's one of the pioneers. A fellow named mm-hmm. Peter Salovey, and he is he at one time was very concerned about the idea that a person with a conservative viewpoint is not welcome on campus at Yale anymore, or, or many campuses for that matter, because um, they, they get you know they're, they're vilified somehow. And, and sometimes push back and, and they don't get even to be on campus or they get shouted down when they do show up and he said that's I mean the idea of a community at a university is to mm-hmm. encourage different points of view so that we engage in, with mm-hmm. others who are really smart too and, right. and and together we come up with better versions of what it is that we're thinking about talking about acting on and I think um, so that I, I like the idea of Brave ranges I think that you know, it's a, sort of the, the, the metaphor, uh, when the student is ready, a teacher will appear. Mm-hmm. I and mean, Braver Angels is the teacher in, in this instance, so in ter- terms of what you're bringing in. And I hope more and more people would want to embrace what you're doing. I do know, I did catch a flavor. There is some, you know, uh, religion tossed in this periodically. You see people talking about their religious faith. And, uh, and I saw some people have a problem with that sometimes, other people who are not religious necessarily. Uh, my personal feeling about that is I'm a very spiritual person. I believe in my religion, but not, not to the exclusion of other religions. Mm-hmm. But I, I think sometimes people's spirituality comes through their religion. Sometimes it comes through humanitarian, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, other kinds of human- humanitarian ways. And it doesn't really matter to me. I mean, what matters to me is people are trying to really hear one another that we're, the, the emotion roadmap that I created some years ago to help with this in the name of the show is about this idea of if I'm going to say something to somebody that might be controversial in some ways, I want to think about how they're likely to feel. And I yeah, want to I think about, is that how I want them to feel? Or is there a way that I could create the feelings that I want so that we can actually talk about what I want to bring up? Because if I just bring it up cold, or if I bring it up in the way that I think about it, perhaps it's gonna be off-putting to them somehow, and it's gonna create some defensiveness. And then then we're gonna land up in an argument and that's not where I wanna go. So the, the whole concept of an emotion roadmap is, is when you've got an important conversation or a challenging conversation to have, you wanna think about how you're feeling going into it and whoever you might be talking to, how are he or she or they likely to feel when you, when you bring this up? If it's not how you want it to feel and then you, you don't think it will cause the feelings you want in them, what would be more ideal to feel and how do you create that? And I think Braver Angels strategies, the methodologies that you put into place, so the people, are, it's a very structured format that you bring to bear, I think, when you, when you try to help people to talk through these things. And, uh, and, and I'm wondering, I guess at this point, I'd like to know if people would want to join Braver Angels, John what would they likely experience? I mean, cause it seems like you're doing lots of different things. There's, I get emails all the time now, but all the different meetings going on. How do you kind of sort through that? And what, what's the recommended strategy if, if you're kind of interested and you wanna know more, but you don't wanna be overloaded at the same time?
1: That's right. Yeah. Well, coming into Bravery Angels, you're going to be hit with sort of a, you're going to be hit with the community experience, which is to say that a lot of different things are happening um, within that community. First, let me offer a a clarification just in case it's helpful for anybody listening. Sometimes people think that Braver Angels, or wonder if Braver Angels is a religious organization. Uh, We are not actually a religious organization. Uh, I'll employ some religious metaphors uh, sometimes in talking about our work, just because that's part of of my background, Um, part of my story. uh, Braver Angels, as you mentioned earlier on, was originally Better Angels, better angels, of course, is a, phrase for, is a phrase that comes to us by way of Abraham Lincoln in his first inaugural address, um, talking about the need for us to reach out and, 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 and uh, revive the better angels of our nature. And um, the uh, we the change to Braver Angels happened for a couple of reasons. One, to be perfectly honest, we had a, a trademark dispute uh, over the name with, with another group that was resolved amicably. But uh, the word braver came into play um, because we sort of contemplated the fact that, as much as there is an emphasis on empathy being an important, uh, being a central sort of part to our ability to build bridges in the context of dissolving social trust, that ultimately uh, that project is not going to be successful without quite a bit of courage being in the mix. Because, uh, frankly, uh, in many contexts, we take a risk by being willing to sort of see and speak to the humanity of the other side. First of all, people who are politically opposite from us may not always reward us for that sort of that sort of charity, if you will. You go into conversations with people who are coming from a different point of view if they look at you as being in a different tribe. And if they look at that tribe as the enemy, they might see you as the enemy and you know you may not always be welcomed warmly in those contexts. Um, and then, you know, worse still, you might find yourself being punished by your friends, by your political compatriots and so forth, who look at a willingness to engage folks in good faith on the other side of certain questions as being tantamount to selling out, if you will. Um, And so uh, the term braver came in to signify the need for courage uh, in that work.
0: Well, as I mentioned earlier, John, listening to you and and talking about Braver Angels, it seems to me it's a wonderful place for people who are beginning to feel like they want a chance to talk with like-minded individuals who don't agree with them, but want to understand why the other side exists and and isn't being critical, but but seeking to understand. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean they're going to change what they believe or who they are. It's just going to lead to more citizenship, more civility, more respect across party lines and hopefully across family lines or, and, and in friendships. And one of the things I think that, you know, I'd like to just say to people that are interested in, in what we're talking about today, John, I mentioned to you earlier that there's a group of us in in the in Connecticut, New Jersey, and New York who, are, who, who have been volunteers for No Labels for a number of years and uh, are partnering with some people who have been volunteers for Braver Angels for a number of years. And we're looking to bring the groups together. We think No Labels and Nancy Jacobson and her vision for No Labels has been fantastic and remarkable in what she's achieved with this Problem Solvers Caucus and with the bicameral meeting starting now with senators from across both aisles coming together with a number of the people from the Problem Solvers Caucus. So two houses getting together across party lines to try and generate the, what's in the best interest of the country. I mean, it's remarkable that we're moving in that direction. I think a lot of the skills that, they, that they've cultivated themselves, a lot of the skills that you're helping the entire country to build. And, the, and, and I know that Braver Angels is growing pretty pretty rapidly. And, and we, we see some synergy in trying to bring the organizations together. Um, if anybody is interested, again, you can, um, you can write to me. If they want to get connected to Braver Angels, John, what's the best way for somebody to do that? Well, you can just find us at our website. It's braverangels.org. And um,
1: there are all sorts of ways to get involved. Um, I didn't get to talk about our volunteer positions and some of the different activities um, and positions of leadership that people can step into, but you can find all of that information on the website. And you can also follow us uh, on social media at Braver Angels. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of that. Uh, And you can follow me at John R. Wood Jr. uh, on Twitter. I'm on Facebook too. And and all of that. But you can start with the website, braverangels.org.
0: as I'm thinking about who's out there listening and how they're feeling, here's, here's what I'm what I'm uh, you know speculating is that there's some people that would like to know more but aren't willing to take uh, you know much much of much of their time yet, but they're interested. And then there's a group out there that says, This sounds pretty good to me. Uh, how do I get involved? And then there's a group that says, I want the deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I mean this i've been i've been waiting to hear about a place like this i didn't know you existed and now i i want to be part of it because i i'm tired of the community i'm in because nobody's listening to each other and i want to be part of the community where people have respectful civil discourse with one another so if you, if you can think in terms of different groupings what, what do you recommend for the different groups yeah sure well if you just want to sort of keep up to speed with what it is we're
1: doing and get a sense for kind of what our work is about and kind of what what it all feels like. You can subscribe to our newsletter. If you go to the website and go to the join page, you'll have the opportunity to join as a member, but you can also scroll down below that uh, and uh, sign up for our email notifications and you'll get uh, you'll get to listen to uh, some of our Brave Rangers podcast episodes, see some of our videos, see some of the coverage that comes out about Brave Rangers. I have a newsletter that comes out every, uh, every Saturday, which uh, some folks enjoy reading. And so that's one way to sort of stay apprised, um, uh, to dip your toe in. Uh, but if you want to jump in, uh, you know, jump into the deep end of the pool, uh, join us as a member. And we will reach out to you after that with some volunteer opportunities if you want to take advantage of those. But you'll have the opportunity to join our, our, um, our member meetings and participate in some of the gatherings that I've that I've described. So, um, yeah, there, there are a whole bunch of different ways to get involved. Um, but, you know, just it just starts with knocking on the door. So I encourage folks to do so.
0: Well, I wanna, I wanna thank you, John. I wanna just thank all my listeners who are regular listeners. You've been listening to WPKN 89.5 FM. This is the Motion Roadmap. Take the wheel and control how you feel. And I'm hoping that you got some idea about how to control some of the feelings you're having about what's happening in our country today and that you are interested enough to at least learn more and perhaps even to take a deeper dive into braver angels and also no labels. So if you have an interest in volunteering and feeling like you can make a difference, and you wanna feel hopeful and not helpless around what's happening, I suggest you at least take a peek at some of this uh, information that you've been uh, told about today. And I wanna thank John for being our guest today. I really appreciate having the time to spend with you. And uh, thanks so much, John. And uh, hopefully we'll be in touch and we'll do more together. Thank you, Chuck. It was a lot of fun. Thanks.